Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, there are any number of headlines that I could lead off with today, and I am going to lead off with this because it came up last night in a conversation at my house. Sean Connery uh, is 90. And so I know some of you are saying, okay, what? Uh, in In a news day when Carmen could be talking about hurricanes pressing in on the Gulf Coast, or she could be talking about fire recovery in California, or she could be talking about the RNC convention, um, all of which, by the way, we're going to get to. Daniel Bennett is uh, waiting right now to join us for a conversation about RNC Day 2. Um, but this uh, this was actually a conversation in my house, so I thought, well, you know, let's talk about that for just a moment. What, what can Sean Connery, um, as a character who played James Bond, right? Like, I mean, that may not be the role. The Hunt for Red October may be the role that you have in your mind uh, for Sean Connery. That's the, sort of the one that lingers in my mind. But... Uh, James Bond is a character that is written um, on on the hearts and minds of more people in America in terms of who they want to be. So, you know, there's a there's a period of time during which every man in America wants to be James Bond and every woman in America wants to be with James Bond. Now, that storyline is not the storyline that is operating in the culture today in terms of the narrative that. Uh, young men and women are pursuing in terms of who they want to be. But I want you to consider for a moment how formative, how formative the narrative of the James Bond movies, the James Bond, um, uh, what would we call that? Uh, franchise is the thank word. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Franchise. The, the James Bond franchise, um, uh, how how powerful and influential it, it is in the way that um, we think and maybe in the way that we dream Stories have a formative power. They don't just have an informative power. They have a formative power. Um, Think about the way that uh, God uses narrative story to to set hooks in our hearts and minds where he wants us to remember things, where he wants us to take where he wants to take us back to a moment where he wants to actually make us members again of a time and a place and an experience with himself. The same, uh, the same power of narrative story operates in the secular world. And so I want you to consider that today. I want you to consider um, where people know you've been based on the stories, not only that you're telling, but the stories that you are becoming a part of again. And that is, the, that is actually the process of remembering, becoming a member again of a particular story or storyline or narrative. God is writing a redemptive narrative over the entire arc of human history. There's one big narrative arc, and it is the redemptive narrative of God not only creating, but redeeming for himself a people. And so when you consider um, the the role that you play today, the dreams you dream, uh, what you pursue through your work, consider where that fits. Where does that fit? 
in the redemptive arc of God's big story, the big story, the overarching narrative. Because if if ultimately, you know, men in our culture, you know, want to be like 007, and they don't really want to be like Jesus, I mean, keeping in mind that, I don't know, 007 slept with like 55 women in the in the Bond franchise, that's not godly. There's nothing about that that's godly. It's, this is not a... This is not a character after whose character we should be seeking to have our character formed. But Jesus, on the other hand, uh, our character, moment by moment, moment by moment, in cooperation and submission to the Holy Spirit, I ask the living God to conform my character more and more to the character of Jesus. Why? Because that's the character that's actually pressing the gospel narrative forward in the culture. That's That's the character that's required um, to be a redemptive presence and a redemptive voice in the culture in which we live today. And this is the day that the Lord has made, and this is the day that the Lord has made for us to bear witness to him within. And so uh, consider consider the storylines that you have allowed to shape and form not only your uh, your conscience, but your character. And if it's more formed by James Bond than it's formed by Jesus, today's a good day to uh, uh, to reconsider that. Um, all right, next up, or first up this morning, Daniel Bennett. Um, I could introduce him in a hundred different ways. I'm going to uh, describe him as a politics professor from John Brown University, and then we'll talk about uh, you know some of his other glowing credentials when he joins us in just a minute. We're going to talk about uh, day two of the RNC uh, convention, and then we're also going to talk about, um, well, his particular concern for you and I as uh, as citizens today. Highlights from his Uneasy Citizenship blog. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bennett is a professor of political science at John Brown University. He is also the assistant director for the Center for Faith and Flourishing. His research interests include the intersection of law, politics, religion in the United States, the First Amendment, the future of Christian political engagement. Um, And he lives in Siloam Springs. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, Arkansas. And if you were to log on to that city's website right now, um, the lead is Be Counted. Right. It's a conversation about the census. So. Daniel Bennett, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. Have you um, already been counted? Oh, yes. I did that uh, about as soon as I got the the mailer. Okay, so let's make the appeal right now. Why? I mean, let's just go ahead and do a a very brief PSA right now about the importance of people participating in the U.S. Census. It's not on our list of things to talk about, but I feel like you're prepared. Yeah, so... uh, with the census, of course, it counts how many people there are in the country. You want to be accurate and you want the country to have a good idea of who its people are. Um, but maybe you want a more selfish reason for participating. Well, if you participate in the census, your district and your home gets more money because the government says, OK, there's this many people living in this area. We're going to allocate funding for roads and, and uh, you know, health care and other things uh, to higher population areas. So, goodness, participate in the census. 
All right, so I don't want to hear you complaining about potholes if you didn't participate in the census. Um, but there's a lot of other <laughs> things in addition to uh, in addition to that 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 matter. And so you matter. Let's all be counted. That'll, that'll be my little PSA today. All right, let's talk <laughs> about uh, let's talk about the Republican National Convention. We spent a lot of time talking last week uh, about what the what the Democrats were doing. So this week we're gonna you know we're focusing a little attention on what the Republicans are doing. Um, some highlights from day two that stood out to you. So uh, if day one was about uh, maybe where the Republican Party currently stands and the divisions within the Republican Party, say, between Charlie Kirk and on one hand, but Nikki Haley and Tim Scott on the other, then day two is a reminder of why Donald Trump was elected in the first place. Uh, There was a lot of discussion from small business owners in rural parts of the country who were applauding the president's trade deals, his uh, cutting back and scaling back of regulations. Uh, Also, a lot of discussion about uh, religious freedom, uh, the pro-life movement, even some discussion of judges. Uh, And so these are things that motivated people to vote for Donald Trump the first time around. Not surprisingly, not a lot of talk about the more controversial elements of the of the Trump administration. But goodness, it's a political convention. It's a party. We're not going to dwell on the things that are imperfect. We're going to dwell on the things that we really appreciate. So some things that stood out to me, I thought that um, the I mean, even though there were only five of them, I thought that the uh, the little naturalization uh, ceremony Hmm. that took place where the president of the United States is witnessing, you know, five immigrants becoming citizens um, I thought that was a powerful moment um, yesterday. Um, I don't know if it was appropriate during. Uh, I don't know because it's 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 a, like an act, like a official act of the government, and then it took place. I don't know. So that was a you know there's like this celebratory thing, and then this question mark. That same question I think is being asked about um, uh, Mike Pompeo and his speech. I thought I thought his speech was uh, was was really good. Um, straight talk on China, the Communist Party, um, straight talk on the caliphate and Iran. Um, But the setting was very significant. He was in Jerusalem. He highlighted the move of the U.S. Embassy to Israel's capital. He highlighted the the accord between the UAE and Israel. Um, But, you know, I think that it didn't take, what, 15 minutes before House Democrats opened an investigation (laughs) into whether or not those pre-recorded remarks um, constitute a violation of the Hatch Act. So, um, you know, talk with us about what's going on there. Yeah. So, I mean, if your listeners weren't familiar with the Hatch Act uh, before, if they were on social media at any time last night, they almost certainly are now. Uh, but the Hatch Act essentially prohibits uh, White House uh, officials from engaging in electoral conduct in their official capacity or on official, you know, White House business on the government's dime. Um, and so I think a lot of the issues last night that arose, whether it was the naturalization ceremony, uh, Mike Pompeo's speech from from Israel, or even before this, which I thought was one of the most moving moments of the ceremony, was the pardon of this uh, convicted oh, yeah. bank robber. Uh, there were immediate concerns that, well, the president's using his official capacity as president and, and more importantly, using White House staff to, uh, behind the scenes or setting the stage, whatever, uh, to promote this at a political convention. I think, you know, we're at the point where I don't think it's going to really move the needle in any particular direction. I imagine there is some gray area there. Um, but I think the moments, uh, particularly with the uh, pardon and the naturalization ceremony, were really quite moving. Uh, you can, you can con- complain about the Hatch Act all you want, but it's hard to find someone who doesn't think those are compelling stories to watch. 
Yeah, for those of you who missed it, the John Ponder story, um, John Ponder, while he was in prison, became a Christian. Uh, his life it was genuinely radically transformed by Christ. God then led him to start a program with the FBI agent who arrested him, and together they uh, they help former inmates lead productive and fulfilling lives after pr- prison. I mean, it, it, is this, it is redemption realized. It is what the criminal justice process should be in America. It was it's it was powerful. And it also is a reminder uh, of one of President Trump's uh, probably greatest legislative achievements, uh, the criminal justice reform stuff that he signed, uh, just saying, hey, you know, this is how it affects regular people. It's how my life was transformed. And I'm thankful that you're giving other people a second chance. So, again, you can debate whether or not it was proper or improper uh, to do that, you know, in, in a White House event during a political convention. But the moment itself is pretty moving. All right. Um, if for those of you who missed it, go watch Abby Johnson's speech. She's the former Planned Parenthood clinic director. She has joined us here on the program um, on, on prior occasion. Uh, she uh, delivered what I, I believe was like the strongest, most compelling pro-life speech I've ever heard at a national political convention. Um, Abby Johnson's speech uh, last night at the RNC, uh, particularly poignant. All right, uh, Daniel Bennett and I are going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask him another surprise question, although I feel confident he's prepared to answer it. Um, And that's going to be, what, if anything, do you know about the Lincoln Project? And then we're going to talk about what he's got posted at Uneasy Citizenship, uh, at his Uneasy Citizenship blog, at Uneasy Citizenship. Uh, We'll be right back. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. Continue my conversation with Daniel Bennett. Uh, Daniel, where do we want to send people? Best place to find you on one-stop shopping, DanielRBennett.com. If they just type that in their browser, they'll get there, right? You'll get there, and you can follow me on Twitter, DanielRBenn, B-E-N-N. I'm all there. I'm I'm testing uh, my, my theory. All right. Yeah, he's all over the place. So Daniel Bennett, um, he's a good follow. Um, I particularly like what you're doing in terms of um, I'll, I'll describe it as a roundup um, that you do uh, at the beginning of each week. Um, so we talked to Dan DeWitt on Fridays and he gives us like the weekend worldview reader. And then I feel like um, you give us this Monday, uh, uh, this Monday shot of what we need to be reading to prepare us for the week. So if folks are, are if you're working on curating um, a feed, this is a good one to go check out. Um, Uneasy Citizenship is uh, is sort of the subhead of what he's doing here. Um, but you go to DanielRBennett.WixSite, and that's W-I-X-S-I-T-E, WixSite.com. And that's where you'll find um, the Uneasy Citizenship blog, which I highly recommend you at least check on Mondays because he does this great roundup of things that we uh, we ought to be paying attention to and focusing on this week. And one of the things that you highlight is um, Nap Nasworth's uh, new podcast, which um, I hadn't even talked about yet, but I got to do the first episode with him, so that was kind of fun. Yeah, I saw that. What a great, uh, you know, world's colliding moment. It's great stuff. Okay, so Nap and I went to college together. So we've known, so, he, oh. you know, so if you want to start, if you like, I want to start with an easy person that you know you can talk with about anything, you start with an old college friend. That's absolutely right. Good way to ease into it. That's right. Okay. So what, if anything, um, my old friend Daniel Bennett, um, what, if anything, do you know about the Lincoln Project? Because, okay, so, and the reason that I bring it up is because people are going to see references to it, um, particularly because Billy Graham's granddaughter uh, has now, uh, you know, joined the Lincoln women effort. And so I just feel like there's going to be listeners 
um, who've never heard of the Lincoln Project, who now are going to hear of the Lincoln Project, and I'd like for you to tell them what it is. Yeah, so the Lincoln Project was founded a couple of years ago uh, by what could only be described, and I'm sure they'd be okay with this, as disaffected Republicans, people who think that the Donald Trump vision for the Republican Party is a betrayal of what the party has stood for historically. Uh, one of the one of the founding members was George Conway, uh, Kellyanne Conway, the White House advisor's husband. Of course, he recently uh, stepped back uh, along with his wife to, to con- concentrate on their family. Um, Bill Kristof, other people like this. But the purpose of the Lincoln Project is really to highlight ways in which Donald Trump's presidency has diverged from traditional Republican orthodoxy uh, on the one hand, but also to show how the administration is uh, totally unprecedented in their in their words or in their views on uh, their actions, on their behavior, and, and try to convince Republicans that it might not be a bad idea for Donald Trump to lose in 2020. So I want you to you to know so um, so that if you see reference to the Lincoln Project, you know that it is. Um, uh, what do they call that? That's an organization of people who get together to do something politically. It's a PAC, right? Yeah, it's a, poli- it's a political yeah. action committee, I think. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Well, so um, so there you go. Um, uh, important, you know, important for us to know as we see things referenced, particularly by friends. You know, we sort of need to know, you know, what what that group mm-hmm. is about and what they're up to. All right, give us some highlights from the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Yeah, so it's really, I mean, I initially started it as a way to just write uh, more frequently. Uh, You know, I teach a a fairly decent uh, course load here at John Brown University, and there's not always enough time that I I would always want want to dedicate more time to writing. And so any opportunity I get to write about, uh, you know, Supreme Court decisions or developments in religious freedom, uh, there'll be an original blog post there. But I thought this overview, which is the newsletter that I put out every Monday or every other Monday, depending on scheduling, uh, was a way for me to force me to read some good stuff and then decide, OK, which are the which would I consider to be essential things like what would I share with my students? What would I share with my colleagues to help us make sense of the world in this particular moment? And it's heavily concentrated on religion, politics and law. Um, okay, what's happening at John Brown University? One, one of the things we check in with professors and we check in with uh, with mm. educators, we're just we're just want to check in on like what's happening where you are with education right now. <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, officially started the semester uh, in person. Uh, last week was our first uh, week on campus, and uh, I've been really impressed with the students' response to the new reality. Uh, by and large, everyone that I've encountered is wearing masks, uh, if not all the time, certainly in the buildings. Uh, I, I was remarking or I was thinking to myself when I was teaching yesterday, the six foot distance between desks was so unusual when I first started. But now you've kind of grown acclimated to it. And I'm I just wonder telling what you, it would be it would be really yeah. hard for it, it, in the you know, in my former days when oh, I was yeah. not redeemed, six feet of separation would have made it really difficult for me to cheat. I'm just going ahead and saying so. <laughs> that, that is a side effect. That's it's going true. to have a secondary side effect. <laughs> but it's going to be strange when students go back to, to sitting close to each other and being close to one another. I mean, I think it's mm. great for community, but as a professor, it's disorienting. It's almost going to be like they're on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw a picture of a, uh, you know, of a quote unquote classroom that looked more like a converted auditorium, you know, where obviously they, yeah. they didn't have fixed chairs. And so they were able to set it up. Yeah. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, OK, that is just strange to look at. That is, just, you know, from yeah. the and it was a picture taken from the professor's um, vantage point. Yep. Well, we're praying for well, you. We're praying for others. Oh, go ahead. No, that's fine. Thank you. 
Yeah, we're praying for you. We're praying for others like you across the country. Um, Thank you, um, as always, for joining us. Let's continue this conversation. Happy to do it. That's Daniel Bennett. You can uh, you can find him all over the place. I want you to go and find him at Daniel R. Bennett dot Wix site, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com so that you can read the Uneasy Citizenship blog and you can great get this great overview that he's offering um, at, at the start of each. Well, actually, every other week. There you go. But we don't read enough to, to need it every every week anyway. So, Daniel, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks. We'll be right back. We like to get a Christian perspective, in fact, a a perspective from Christians on the ground around the world in terms of what's happening in particular hot spots or places of crisis. Ruth Kramer joins us from Mission Network News. We're going to talk about unfolding events in Mali, Belarus, and Beirut. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I talk to a lot of parents who feel like their home is a virtual war zone. The teens are lobbing emotional grenades, and it isn't pretty. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I completely understand the analogy. Every day feels like a painful battle, and too often you may feel like a casualty. Take a look at those battles that are raging in your home. Are they worth fighting for? If it's an attack on your respect or a belief system, then you need to confront it. But if it's dumb stuff, you probably need to let it go. Pick your battles wisely. Try to zero in on things that are the most important. And even though it gets intense from time to time, no one needs to lose the war. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before. All right, we love to check in with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about how our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world not only are faring, but are serving in places that are particularly difficult. Ruth, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Whoa, excuse me for morning voice. That's okay. You know, morning voice, I I can't, I I took a sip of coffee yesterday, like at the beginning of an hour, and you know, you can't actually swallow and talk at the same time. So I'm with (laughs) you. I'm with you. So, um, all right, let's talk about Mali. First of all, let's give people a little bit of geographical context. Uh, Mali and then um, why the changes there are concerning for Christians. Okay, well, Mali is in West Africa. It is surrounded by Algeria to the north, uh, Niger to the east, Burkina Faso, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, and Guinea to the sort of the south part of the country, Senegal and Mauritania to the west. So this is an area that has a lot of potential for uh, extremist activity, what we've seen in Algeria, Libya, um, Nigeria, Chad, and Niger. Um, These are all areas that are highly influenced by extremist ideology. Um, So when we have something like a coup, a coup d'etat, it, it, opens the door for the potential uh, for more unrest and for extremists to come in and take advantage of a power vacuum, which is basically what uh, the the major concern is. Um, Last week, there was a coup in Mali, 
and the military uh, arrested the president and a number of other leaders and put them in detention. And at the time, the the citizens were very happy about what was occurring because they were mostly protesting over uh, just a number of issues that a lot of countries are are dealing with right now. Uh, a lot, you know, we've we've heard of a protests uh, dealing with uh, uh, corruption, with um, maybe leadership that they're unhappy with, with the whole issue of the coronavirus, with the economy and all of that kind of stuff. Those are all things that play into what led to protests uh, recently that uh, kind of led to the beginning of the, of the motion towards the, the coup that happened last week. Uh, the issue now is uh, where do we where do we go from here? Um, the countries that are trying to speak into the crisis who are actually on board trying to help uh, alleviate the situation are now saying the coup is a bad idea. And they want to restore the president, Keita, to his uh, to his office because they said this is really an illegal kind of thing. The global community is um, following that. They want to see the duly elected president restored to office. Um, and really, it's it's a move to try to to maintain the stability in Mali because if Mali goes down, as I, I said at the beginning of the segment, um, the risk is you're going to have an insurrection, uh, and that would be really bad, um, mostly because this country's had a history of that. And in 2012, this was something very similar. There was another coup, and in that power vacuum that existed, the Tuareg rebels took over, and you saw this spike in Islamist extremism that sent hundreds of thousands of people fleeing out of the country. Um, persecution of Christians spiked during that time. And right now, it's it's part of the reason why uh, Mali is in the top 30 uh, countries in the world where persecution against Christians is known, according to the World Watch List. Uh, so, you know, this is something they don't want to have happen. It is something that the region is very concerned about uh, because they're trying to maintain a situation so you don't have a failed state in Mali. So one of the conversations that you illuminate um, ministries that that are working in um, in this part of the world, you're highlighting uh, TWR, um, which is a radio broadcast ministry, and you're highlighting the, the questions that they have about whether or not their signal will continue to go out through their FM stations over the internet, because that can be disrupted when, um, you know, when, the gov- when a government obviously is radically transformed. Tell us what you're hearing from, uh, from partners at TWR. Well, the concern is that with the disruption of uh, internet connectivity, that they won't be able to transmit programming back and forth. And right now, um, people are relying on radio for their information because the military has taken over the, the other standing media. And so people don't really have a way to get good information. And Transworld Radio is trying to be the bridge in that gap. Um, so there's concern that if they lose that ability, that their programming, that the things that they're they're encouraging people with during a very uncertain time are going to be disrupted. So they're asking prayer for that. Um, also, radio stations tend to be targets during this time. Uh, mm-hmm. A number of years ago, five years ago, Transworld Radio had a situation very, very similar to what is going on now where there's some um, unrest in the country. There was some uh, difficulty within the government um, structure, and one of their partners was attacked 
by gunmen and a number of radio staff were were killed in that particular thing. So this is all very much, you know, front of of uh, front of mind for the ministry. And they're asking believers to be praying because, you know, as staff go into work, they're taking their lives in their hands, but they, they feel that the message that they have to share with their countrymen is vitally important, not only of hope and peace and truth, but also what's going on in their country, uh, just so they know what's what's happening, where to go, if there needs to be somewhere where people need to, to flee to, that's going to be a safe haven. And for, for them, also how to pray, praying together as a body. Um, and a lot of people that are listening are not necessarily believers, so there's an opportunity there to be sharing the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. They're asking us as people who are you know watching the situation from the outside to also be praying, praying that they they are able to even connect, uh, continue with the internet service so that they can serve the partners, um, praying for stability in Mali, um, praying for protection for believers because believers tend to be targets in something like this. Uh, there are soft targets, and so that's what we typically see, and there's a history of that as well. And then ask God to guide Transworld Radio's leaders and in-country partners as they decide on the best course of action uh, for how to serve uh, their listeners and really keep the staff safe. Open Doors is alongside that, and, and they're pretty much saying the same thing. The country is shut down right now. The borders are closed. Transportation is, is shut down. Um, really, everything just kind of ground to a halt while they're trying to deal with the, the leadership crisis. All right, let's pivot from Mali to Belarus. Um, and let me just say that if people haven't looked at pictures of what's happening in Belarus, um, let me just encourage you to, you know, to go and uh, and and check it out. Um, I I will just tell you, it look it looks surprisingly like America in in the photographs, and that was a surprise to me. I'll just admit to you, I don't know what I had in my mind about you know Belarus and what it might look like and what the people of Belarus might look like, but I got to tell you, it was it looks like looking in a mirror. Um, 200,000 um, or more citizens of Belarus gathered uh, on Sunday protesting his uh, protesting the removal of office of uh, Lukashenko. We talked about it briefly um, in our conversation on Monday with David Aikman. What are you hearing from Christians in Belarus? Well, a lot of them are trying to basically keep their noses clean. Um, this is one of the largest protests in the country's history, and um, there there are concerns that there's going to be repercussions. Um, and believers, you know, they're citizens of the country, so they're they they have opinions, they have hopes, and things like that. But they also don't want this kind of thing to permanently disrupt the networks that they have for serving people. Um, Belarus is not, has also been affected by the things that we have heard about globally with regard to uh, difficult economics, uh, high unemployment, uh, ridiculous inflation, and uh, now COVID with the, the whole thing with the lockdown and uncertainty. Um, and in the process of all of this, there was an election in Belarus, which, you know, people went out and did the, the, did their part with the civic duty of voting. And then the results came out and people got upset, um, uh, you know, because there was, it was lopsided. They didn't believe that the election results were the actual results. And I, you know, as you said, you, you spoke to an expert on this situation earlier this week um, and, and just watched everything unfold. Uh, as people have been watching this, this situation, um, it's been unnerving because of the connections and the possibilities of what can happen if a larger power steps in to support the government. Um, 
So our partners, Slavic Gospel Association, uh, they're just basically telling us that believers are still doing the thing that they're they're there to do, which is to spread the hope of Christ, to share the gospel, to meet needs. SGA has a program called Christ Over COVID, and through that, they're helping uh, the church missionary pastors and churches go out and visit needy families who've been impacted by the pandemic. So they take them humanitarian aid and food, groceries, hygiene items, and basically they're the hands and feet of Christ and a couple cold water in Jesus's name. So uh, my local church that I'm a part of um, has a relationship with a local congregation in Minsk, the Light of Hope Church. And so, you know, I think that um, when when those of us have an opportunity to pray specifically for brothers and sisters in Christ or for a pastor, um, in this case, Misha Stepnov, just encouraging, um, encouraging listeners, find, you know, find the names that uh, that are in these articles at uh, Mission Network News, mnnonline.org. Find the names, find the names of the organizations and pray specifically. Lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ in these particular um uh, settings and circumstances, uh, because it personalizes it, and so I'm just encourage people to do that today. Um, Ruth, let's um, let's pivot now. We have uh, we have been to Africa, we have been to uh, Eastern Europe. Let's talk now about uh, Beirut in the Middle East. This has been, you know, a a highlight country for our conversations for some time. Um, talk with us about um, uh, about how the church is stepping in as the government is stepping down. Well, I, I'm going to walk it back a little bit on government stepping down because our partners are <laughs> telling us. That's good. No, that's good. Our partners are telling us they don't believe that that's actually what happened. Um, while you had a resignation of the parliament and the prime minister, effectively nothing has changed. And so there's still a lot of dissatisfaction because the problem hasn't been addressed. The problem was that there was government corruption uh, that led to regulations not being dealt with and, you know, stockpiling of dangerous materials on the port in, in a, in a you know, facility um, that led to this massive explosion that has leveled so much of um, the city. It has basically destroyed the port and um, Beirut's going to have a hard time coming back from it. Um, you know, the world has been watching what is happening. And uh, even the French president has gotten involved with trying to help figure out the next steps for um, for for Lebanon. And the French president has has come in and saying it said uh, reform has to happen if the country is going to uh, move forward, if it's going to recover and resolve its economic crisis. But again, even with the French president coming in and with the Lebanese saying maybe it's time to go back to being a, a French colony, um, the issues – are still a problem. You got factionalism. You've got horse trading. You have long delays that are part of Lebanese politics, and that is what is plaguing right now uh, the French president's efforts to get things moving and putting in uh, candidates that are going to stand for government. Um, it's it's still a crisis. It's still frustrating. People are unhappy with that. Uh, so when we talk to our partners, the social unrest is still present. But there are now other things that are keeping people from protesting, uh, and that is they just want to clean up the city. They just want to get things um, in a place where they can survive the next few months, um, get buildings shored up, you know, deal with what they need to do to get things flowing again. Uh, 
even to have what they had before the explosion. So our partners like Sat7, they're dealing with a lot of programming on uh, satellite TV just to try to give people a platform to talk about things, to share their fears, uh, maybe to call in and talk to someone who can pray with them, um, to get some answers to questions that maybe won't be true political answers, but questions about why is God letting this happen? You know, why now? Uh, what's next? And and the, the, the people who are working with Sat7 uh, in Lebanon are basically letting people have a platform and providing some kind of biblical encouragement. So basically pointing people's eyes to Christ in spite of the fact that there really aren't really, there are no, no good answers right now for those questions. Our other partners, Horizons International, um, <laughs> when when we talk to Pierre, he is one of those guys that just says it like it is. And so we've been greatly encouraged by some of the other issues on the other side of the things that he's been saying. He's really, um, I guess, disillusioned, disappointed with what has happened with his government. Um, but he's also saying this is an opportunity unlike anything they've ever seen. Prior to this last year, you had, you know, you had all of the the uh, disturbances and the protests that were taking place. And the thing that really characterized the protests of Lebanon before was that they were peaceful. You had hundreds of thousands of people out there who are protesting government, and it was largely peaceful. And um, and that that was different because anything that we saw anywhere else in the area, we saw a lot of violence coming down. So. Um, the believers that that were out there, part of the protests, had actually erected prayer tents in the midst of all these protests, and they were encouraging people to pray, to call on God, to shake things up, to um, revive and renew Beirut. And they they really are thinking that even though this is a horrible situation right now with the explosion and trying to rebuild, um, that this is one of God's answers because it just wasn't happening enough, and now it's been taken down to its its bare studs and it can be rebuilt. And the church needs to be part of that rebuilding. Um, and that's what the ministries are doing. They're trying to get in there and just say, if you have questions about this and you need your your yourself, your person to be spiritually rebuilt, come to us. We can pray with you. We can show you the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and why that's important. Um, so to be praying for the ministries that are in Beirut, um, a lot of them were thinking they were going to ramp down on a certain on certain things with regard to humanitarian aid because the Syrian refugee crisis was kind of coming to a point where it was kind of a, a time to release uh, and let them go back home. And uh, and then you have this and all those facilities that were closed down are now having to reopen, which, again, is another blessing because that they were they were already in place and there were places for people to go with a disaster like this. And so there are opportunities that God is putting right in the hands of the church. And so we need to be praying that they have energy for this because this is a back-to-back -back crisis. They've been in, in high gear since the Syrian refugee crisis began 10 years ago. And now they're in high gear serving their own people in a different way. Um, so pray that they have the energy and the resources to continue to respond. Um, pray that, uh, that people will see their love and be drawn to Christ um, and consider helping them. Because again, 
you know, they were dealing with a financial crisis right before this happened, and things were getting really ridiculous in terms of inflation and unemployment and what they were able to get a hold of in terms of resources. And then this happened. It was just like the nail in the coffin. So they're asking the body of Christ at a time when they know everybody is tightening their belts to come alongside them and really help them to shine in the hope of gospel. So I uh, I learned recently, Ruth, that um, that a the guy I went to, well, we weren't in seminary at the same time. He was back at Princeton um, getting uh, getting an additional degree um, when I was there for my MDiv, and his name is Habib Bader. And uh, as I was reading some headlines in Christianity Today um, earlier this week, I saw his name, and I thought, well, that can't be the same. That can't be the same Habib Bader. But in fact, he is the. Uh, He's the pastor of the National Evangelical Church of Beirut, and it's the oldest um, Arabic-speaking Protestant church in the Middle East. And they had just, uh, you know, rebuilt uh, the church, uh, rebuilt the completion in in 1998, and now obviously they have to rebuild again. But um, I bring that up because I do think that the way that you help personalize stories from around the world um, helps us. It helps us know how to pray. It helps us. Um, uh, it, it helps that. Uh, what is it, it called in Greek? The splasmido, the way that the that the bowels rise up within us, and we have this gut and heart reaction to things. The way you know Jesus was moved with compassion. That that it helps us do that for you to bring us these stories. So thank you for what you do every day at Mission Network News, and for joining us here to tell the stories on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. I love what you just said. It helps oh. our bowels rise up. It does. It does. It absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much. We'll be praying with you and, and on the front lines uh, with you, supporting those in ministry around the world. Thank you, Ruth. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. So let me just lead us in a prayer uh, for a moment for Pastor Misha Stepnov at the Light of Hope Church in Minsk, Belarus, and for the Reverend Dr. Habib Bader at the National Evangelical Church of Beirut. Let's also be praying uh, today for pastors in Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa. Let's be praying for pastors in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Let's be praying for pastors in the Twin Cities. Let's be praying for pastors in California where fires rage. Let's, Let's be praying for pastors uh, and and churches in all of these cases, pastors and churches in all of these uh, places and locations today. I'm thinking also of those on the Gulf Coast, uh, bracing for storms. Uh, storms there. The church is uh, alive. She is well. She is resilient. She will prevail. The very gates of hell um, will not uh, will will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ in the world. And so let's be people who are praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today in these places where um, headlines rage. We'll be right back with another hour of Mornings with Carmen. All right. um, We'll have to talk about those other topics at another time. What's, um, What's on your agenda today? What are you thinking about? What are you concerned about? What's on your uh, prayer agenda? Where in the word are you today? Um, On my heart this morning, uh, the questions of who we are, understanding who we are, that we belong to God, um, that we're his to be used for his glory in the world today. I mean, that is literally 
what we are in the world to do. So as you face whatever it is that you're facing today, um, face God first. Like, right? Seek his face first before you turn to face the world. Um, Because let me just tell you, um, when his eyes are on his child, wow, his grace abounds to us. It's not just a song. It's a reality. Right? So um, seek his face Seek first the things of the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and trust me when I tell you, everything else will be added unto you as you need it, because his grace is sufficient in every moment and certainly for this day um, in which we live. All right, we got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.